0: So we saw a diagram in the previous slide, so we are going to apply the concept on the histological slides from a lymph node. So we are looking at two images, just concentrating on the capsule of the lymph node. So we are looking at high magnification of a lymph node stained with HNE, and we're looking at a capsule, and you can see it is being pierced by afferent lymphatic. Sometimes we can see folds of endothelial cells forming valves. So these valves will cause unidirectional flow of the lymph. Once it enters the lymph node, it cannot go back. Okay? Unidirectional flow. So once they enter the capsule, they go into the space under the capsule, which is shown better in this slide. This space is now called subcapsular sinus. Subcapsular sinus. So all we see at this point are just nuclei belonging to the lymphocytes. Maybe some of them are dendritic follicular cells, and some others are macrophages, okay? Because those are the APCs that you will find in the lymph node. So if there are any antigens within this tissue fluid that is passing through or percolating through these cells, then they will be able to pick them up, partially digest them, and they're going to present them to the CD4 cells that are helper cells, and the helper cells will activate in turn the B lymphocytes to produce plasma cells and memory cells. So that is what happens within the lymph nodes. So um, this is the slide showing this importance of subcapsular sinus. Now this is also important... Um, in spread of cancers, because any time you have tissue fluid entering a lymph node, this is the first place that will either contain whatever debris or cancer cells will lodge in this region and proliferate. All right, so let us recap the same information we just said, afferent lymphatics, subcapsular sinus, a beautiful diagram to show that. It runs through peritrabecular sinus. Some some books just call it trabecular sinus. Then they go on to radial sinus. Radial because it runs like in a radiating fashion. Radial sinuses. And then they go on to medullary sinus. And they exit out as efferent lymphatics. So as the lymph passes through, the antigens are removed. And at the same time, if there are lymphocytes that are traveling in the lymphatic fluid, then they can enter the cortex if they are B cells, and they can enter the paracortex if they are T cells, and they can reside there. And some of them from here can also leave the lymph node and travel out into the bloodstream, and that is called recirculation of the cells. Now I want to introduce something called homing effect. Okay, Homing effect means coming home of the lymphocytes. So lymph lymph node is where the lymphocytes live. So how do they enter the lymph node is through these high endothelial venules that are found here. So these cells, the endothelial cells, will be coated with complementary factors that invite these lymphocytes to enter through diapedesis within the lymph node, and they will migrate in this place. So that effect is called homing effect. So high endothelial venules also play a role in filtering excessive amount of tissue fluid. Okay. So they will drain that. So there are two main functions to it. Now what we are looking at in this one image, on the left side shows you the filtration of lymph. On the right, right side shows you the um, division of blood vessels. You can see a small artery becomes an arteriole, and they become capillaries. and after the capillary form vein. So at this junction is where you will find post-capillary venules or high endothelial venules, And you can see within the diagram, it falls under paracortex region. All right, so nodules made up of B cells predominant in the cortex, whereas paracortex rich in T lymphocytes. T lymphocytes never form nodules, okay? All right. So apply the same thing on this image. So here, this image is um, a chinny stain, counterstain with trichrome. So we can appreciate the capsule on the outside, type 1 collagen and larger blood vessels within the hilum. So this slice is taken across the middle of a lymph node. So here is where they exit out or they enter, okay? This is a hilum part, and we have just sliced through the middle of a lymph node. So what we see here are all nodules belonging to cortex, and here will be the inner cortex. Now we're going to study what is medulla. So the medulla, as you can see, has some darker regions where there are cells, and lighter regions, There are tissue fluid, that is lymph. So this is called cords and sinuses. So we're going to see that in the next slide. So we are still looking at the outer cortex right here. So these are the, uh, you can see how the endothelial cells are a little bit cuboidal, okay, low cuboidal. We call this the high endothelial venules, and you can see them in the inset, high magnification of a cross-section of this venule, with cuboidal cells and lymphocytes are entering the lymph node in this region. You can see how lymphocytes are passing through by diapetesis, and these are the endothelial cells that are bulging. So That is the importance of high endothelial venules, two main functions, homing effect and reabsorption of excessive fluid. Now what is not mentioned in the paracortex is that it is rich in T lymphocytes, whereas outer cortex is rich in B lymphocytes. Medullary cords, So this is the medulla part, okay, zoomed in, Um, medium magnification. So here is the cortex, here is the medulla. All these dark areas labeled A are called cords. Cords are nothing but cells draped on reticular fibers. So cells you will find here are B lymphocytes, plasma cells, and some macrophages, and they're all draped with reticular fibers. That means they have reticular cells here as well. And sinuses are spaces where the lymph fluid is passing through, And what they will contain is mainly the lymph tissue, maybe a few wandering macrophages. And if there is some kind of necrotic infection in the localized area, then you might have a lot of neutrophils in this region as well. They can drain them. Alright, stroma of the lymph node, as I mentioned, except for thymus, all lymphoid organs and lymphatic tissue will contain reticular cells that make up reticular fibers, which are type 3 collagen. And you will see, how would you describe reticular fibers? Short, thin, and branching, so that they can isolate or they can provide support like a scaffold so the lymphocytes do not run around freely, so they isolate them. So we can use what kind of stain to identify them? Silver stain or gyrophilia property because they have six times more polysaccharide coating in comparison to type 1 collagen, So that makes us use silver stain to identify these fibers. So you can see how they are short and branching fibers. So during our histology lab, I will show you a virtual microscopy of how these fibers will look in some of the slides. You can see these beautiful um, reticular fibers. They form part of stroma of lymphoid organs. All these are lymphocytes, okay? I'm sure you saw the same slide in the first lab, but you didn't understand where they came from. Now we can actually know what are the main functions in lymphoid organs. Okay? So we'll go on to the second lecture. So we will study the spleen. We'll take this for participation. So Let's click in. We'll study the spleen and the tonsils. Where will you learn about collagen and so on? In FTM module, right? So questions like this will run throughout your term 1 and 2, and these are cumulative questions you will see. So there are things that you cannot afford to forget. Epithelial cells, desmosomes, semidesmosomes. So those are kind of cumulative questions you can expect from histology from FTM all the way in your CPR, GI module, DM module, ER module, types of capillaries, you will see it again and again. All right, so this is a cumulative question. All right, so let us, okay, well, we still have some type 1 and 2 in the class, probably asleep. Wake up. So let's go on to spleen. Now, spleen is the largest lymphoid organ. It is located in the posterior abdominal wall um, on the left side, across the ribs 9, 10, and 11, okay? So this is spleen right here. Now the spleen, um, if you make a fist, that is the size of spleen. So normally, that should be the size of spleen, and sometimes it could enlarge towards the right iliac fossa, so you'll feel a huge, solid spleen when it is enlarged, right? We'll talk about that in a bit. So what is the function of spleen? What was the function of a lymph node we just saw? Filtration of lymphatic fluid, tissue fluid. Filtration meaning it's picking up the antigens from the tissue fluid. What does spleen do? Spleen filters blood. It'll filter all the old erythrocytes and platelets, and they can also filter the antigens. So, thereby producing an immune response. So, filtration of blood is the main function of spleen. So, spleen, as I mentioned, is located quite here. And you can see how it is being supplied by this artery called the splenic artery. The splenic artery will enter through the hilum of the spleen and it will produce branches that run along the capsule of the spleen. So if you look at spleen under lobe magnification, you can see this is a histological slide, HNE stain. Outside there is a box that indicates the thick connective tissue capsule, So, along which where the splenic artery will give its branches and they will run around the capsule. And then the capsule will send in connective tissue septae inside, and these are in boxes here called the trabeculae. So trabeculae is nothing but connective tissue capsule that carries the blood from outside to the interior of this organ or into the parenchyma of the spleen. Okay? So what is striking in low magnification? Can we see these rounded areas which actually look dark? Right? See, if you take a spleen and you slice it, live one, right? And look at it with naked eyes. Actually, these rounded spots appear whitish because they are all lymphatic nodules, and the spaces in between appear red. So therefore, they are called, these are called the white pulp, and the red areas are called the red pulp. But in the slides, they look kind of opposite, right? So we have to remember that. So these are all the white pulp of the spleen, and here is all the red pulp of the spleen. So please do not confuse spleen does not have a cortex and medulla, okay? Lymph node had, thymus had, but not spleen. Spleen, we are going to talk about the red pulp and the white pulp. See, this is what we're going to talk about. So in this picture, we can see a high magnification towards the capsule of the spleen, which is dense irregular connective tissue, mainly type 1 collagen, and it is lined by peritoneum, okay? So we call it mesothelium here. So peritoneal lining can be found on the outside. So within the capsule, you will see blood vessels, and they will travel to the interior through this connective tissue um, septae called trabeculae. So these areas containing lymphocytes make up the nodules. We call them the splenic nodules, make up the white pulp. And areas in between the white pulp is called the red pulp, okay, red pulp. It is red because it contains a large amount of sinusoidal capillaries that will be abundantly um, open with red blood cells. A beautiful image, low magnification uh, from a different specimen of spleen. We can see here the outer connective tissue capsule. And within that, we have these connective tissue septae carrying blood vessels within them. So these are the trabeculae. And these little dark areas are the white pulp nodules, lymphatic nodules. And all this area in between the nodules is called the red pulp. Okay? So in LOMAC, we should be able to say that much. What is the function of spleen? It filters the blood. So as the blood is going to pass through from splenic artery, capsular artery, Trabecular artery, central artery Then you'll have penicillar arteries And they will open into the sinusoids This is what we're going to study now And understand the structure and function of spleen So let us go into higher magnification It is still kind of low, yeah So we can see the capsule These are the trabeculae, And these rounded areas are lymphatic nodules We call them the white pulp Also called the splenic nodules and here everything in between is the red pulp okay any doubts so far so we're going to go into the details of the structure and function so the parenchyma as we know is the functional unit of this organ and we can see that what is around it here is the white pulp so white pulp contains lymphatic nodule okay nodule and as we learned before we have collection of lymphocytes what did you call this pale area within a nodule? Germinal center. Germinal center indicates a secondary nodule. yeah. But what is unique in spleen is that within this nodule, can you see a blood vessel here? So all nodules will contain this blood vessel. So this artery is called central artery. Okay, central artery. It was called central artery because when newborn child not exposed to antigens, the central artery will be covered by lymphocytes as it travels through the parenchyma. right? So when they develop antigen challenge, then the germinal center develops and it kind of pushes the arteriole towards the eccentric location. Okay, So normally they are supposed to be in the center. So all nodules will contain a central artery. Now some books say it's an artery, some areas arteriole, But we have to understand that from the trabeculae, it is going to go through a little distance before it opens into uh, more branches called penicillar artery. So slowly it loses a few layers of smooth muscles, okay? So it could be an artery, small artery, arteriole. So most times we call it central arteriole. So in area in between here is red pulp. We will see that it contains cords and sinusoids. Now the sinusoids in the spleen are also referred to as venous sinuses. Okay? In a textbook you will come across this word as well. The cords are nothing but cells draped on reticular fibers. Again, the same thing. Okay? But it was discovered by a scientist called Bilrod. So it was named after him. They are called the cords of Bilrod. Right? Now also note that the splenic nodules are called Malpighian copper cells. Right. Have you heard this word before, Malpighian scientist in the skin, yeah, Malpighian layer in the skin? All right, so let us go back and apply this diagram and apply this fact on the slide here, okay? We are looking at capsule. Capsule has capsular artery, and the, you know, branches come out here as trabecular artery, and trabecular artery goes in to become the central artery. So from here, as it branches, lymphocytes will form a covering around those central arteries. Hello? Yeah, that is where you will see central arteries, okay? Central artery. Now, as it runs further, the central artery will give rise to branches called penicillar arterioles. Penicillar arterioles, this area looks like a lady's hairbrush, you know? You have like a central stem with spiking radiating brush bristles. So that is how it looks. So blood vessel runs in here, and you have multiple branches coming out from there. And these are called penicillar arterioles. And they will terminate in small dilated spaces called the sinusoids. right? sinusoids. Now, can we all remember what are sinusoidal capillaries? Those that have endothelial cells, no tight junctions, large fenestrations and hardly any basal lamina. You remember that? So we have to keep that in mind. Okay. So we're going to talk about the microcirculation within the spleen in a minute. And as the blood passes through these, we will see how the spleen destroys all the old RBCs, how it does that, and eliminates the antigens within the blood. Okay? So here is a capsule, here is a capsule. Here is a trabeculae, right, trabeculae. When artery passes through here, you call it trabecular artery. Then when it leaves it, you call it central artery. At this time, it is covered by lymphocytes all around it. And That is what in cross-section we call it, white pulp or the splenic nodule. All right, so let us look at this again. You have trabecular artery. This is what is meant by central artery. And you can see all this black area is nothing but lymphocytes that are surrounding this part. So that is what we call as PALS, peri lymphatic sheath, PALS. They say that mainly contains T lymphocytes, okay, T lymphocytes. Whereas outside the T, you have a lot of B lymphocytes. And as you can see here, the nodule is formed by B lymphocytes. We said that before, right? Nodules are formed mainly by activated B lymphocytes, whereas T lymphocytes just form a covering around these blood vessels. And look what happens to that. Here we see the hairbrush again, right, the bristles. These are the penicillar arteries, and they end up in small pools of blood called the sinusoids. Now I want you to focus on this part. You see the penicillar artery? As it leaves the nodule, can you see it forms a ring around the nodule? So this area is called the marginal zone. So marginal zone actually demarcates the white pulp from the red pulp. So these blood vessels, they open out into the marginal sinusoids. As the blood vessel opens out in this region, all the antigens, if at all they are there within the blood, they jump out into this region, right? And that is where you will have a lot of macrophages waiting to pick up those antigens, and they will present them to the lymphocytes. So that is the immune function of spleen, okay? Immune function of spleen, that's what forms these nodules. So from the sinusoids, you can see how the blood will return into the venous system. So that, is, can, that can be explained with this diagram here, okay? So what is shown off here are all branches as trabecular artery, central artery, penicillar arteriole, okay? So with the emphasis on the central arteriole. So let us identify them in images, which is pretty simple. I'm sorry this white line is missing in your handouts, okay, so that's what is outlined in white, is a marginal zone. So I've described what is the importance of marginal zone. So the central artery will be spiking, will give rise to spiking branches called the penicillar artery, and they will now open into the marginal zone. And we have abundant macrophages lined up in this region to pick up those antigens that are released into the sinusoidal um, species, okay? So this white area is a nodule with marginal zone. What is this structure at the pointer? Central arteriole, okay, central arteriole. So please remember in spleen, all nodules will contain central arteriole. So high magnification, that's how we can identify or differentiate slides of spleen from other lymphatic um, areas. All right, so the image on the top, we have seen it before, yeah, again and again, same thing, white pulp and red pulp. But what we are looking at in the bottom is the red pulp. It is stained with silver nitrate, so we can see the reticular fibers that are actually forming a wrap around the capillaries at this point, okay? I will tell you about the importance of these capillaries in a little bit. Now what I would like you to see is that these elongated cells are actually endothelial cells of the blood vessels. So normally we learn that squamous cells are like egg-like and they are flattened and so on, but they are modified in the spleen. They are elongated endothelial cells. They look like the planks of a barrel, so they are elongated with small spaces between them, and they are all held together by threads of these reticular fibers that are found here, and you can see them as black profiles in this image. So that is the red pulp area. So let us apply it one more time. Here are the capsular artery, trabecular artery. This is the central artery. So central artery is called central because it is surrounded by lymphocytes. So initially they have a covering of predominant T lymphocytes, and this area is called lymphatic sheet. And then it is surrounded by B lymphocytes when activated can form large nodules which forms the white pulp area. So you can see how the penicillar arteries are given off and they open towards the edge of these white pulp in the marginal zone and that is where the antigens are released outside. And then now we are, what we're going to do is see what happens at the terminal end. Okay? Now we're going to talk about Two things called open and closed circulation within the spleen. So what is meant by closed circulation? What is meant by open circulation? So some books say that when the blood passes through within the sinusoids, the blood spills out into the cords and then re-enters the blood vessel. That is called the pulp veins right here. That is called open circulation. You can see how all the contents of blood is spilt out and they re-enter the blood vessel. Now, some books say that there is no opening up of the blood, but they pass through these open channels right here, and, and they form the pulp veins. And this is now called closed circulation. So when they pass through these capillaries is when the old erythrocytes are reduced. So in our book, though, says in human beings, we have open circulation, all right? So that is what happens. So here we have trabecular artery, we have a central artery that we talked about, we have pals, and here we have the penicillar arteries or arterioles that are coming down here. And this is the open circulation I just talked about where you can see the blood flows into the cords of the red pulp and they re-enter the splenic sinus. Okay? That is when the old erythrocytes are filtered off and they enter the small veins called the pulp veins they form the trabecular vein, and they form capsular vein, and they form splenic vein. So that is the flow of blood. So this is where the old erythrocytes and platelets are being filtered off, and that is another function of spleen, two main functions of spleen. Okay. So that is closed and open circulation Explain. So let us see how the spleen blood vessels are modified to do this function within the red bulb. So as I mentioned, when you look at the red pulp, you can see how this looks like a barrel, isn't it? So these are all endothelial cells. You can see how the endothelial cells are elongated. So what we're looking at is only the cytoplasm. We're not looking at the nucleus, right? Nucleus will be bulging here and there. I have another slide to show you that. So these are the cords. So what we see here are all the immune cells draped down reticular fibers. So this is what forms the cords of bell rot, and these are the sinusoids that are present within the red pulp. So what we see here in open circulation, the blood flows out into the cord, and the RBCs are re-entering these pulp veins, the sinusoidal areas. Can you see that? So the spaces between these cells are about 2 to 4 microns. What is the diameter of erythrocyte? Seven point four to eight, yeah. So only the healthy ones are able to squeeze through this gap and re-enter the circulation. Whereas the older ones that are rigid, they are eliminated. They would get stuck and they are removed by macrophages which are found in abundance in this region. Okay. So suppose somebody has hemolytic anemia due to abnormal erythrocyte. What are your abnormal erythrocytes called? Shapes? Poikilocytes. So, if you have abnormal the poikilocytes, they will be eliminated. Yeah. Somebody has hereditary spherocytosis, rounded. So, any abnormal shape of erythrocytes, that's why spleen will get enlarged because of this extra work they have to do, eliminating these poikilocytes. Okay. So, structure and function again, microcirculation through the spleen. So these are the, micro, um, so the capillary appearance in the spleen. Okay? So let us look at the importance of marginal zone in this image here to show. So that's the central artery. These are the penicillar arteries, and they open out here, and this is where you will find macrophages, and they will be waiting for the antigens, and they will be presenting those antigens to the lymphocytes, and depending on B or T lymphocyte, they will produce activation within these nodules. So that is the importance of marginal zone. It's a beautiful diagram to show you arrangement of the T lymphocytes here and the B lymphocytes towards the outside. And these are the dendritic follicular cells and follicular dendritic cells. Okay? Dendritic cells of APC's Marginal zone, again shown here with the central arteriole. So I've just explained everything. That's what is written in. This slide in the bottom right here. Okay, So let us take a little bit closer look at the red pulp. The picture I showed you is a scanning electron micrograph, right? But if you look at light microscopy, you hardly see much in the red pulp region. So we can see these are the sinusoidal capillaries, but you see the longitudinal appearance of those endothelial cells, you can see how they... Nuclei are all sliced through in cross section. Right, so these are the sinusoidal capillaries, and here are the cords of Bill rod. So also remember in the book; it says venous sinuses. Keep that in mind because it will eventually become the venous flow in in the spleen. All right, so we we describe how the old erythrocytes are removed when they pass from the cords back into the blood blood vessels at this point, right? So planks of a barrel, they're just the appearance of endothelial cells. And note that these endothelial cells are called literal cells. If you come across this name somewhere, it is in spleen. Literal cells are elongated endothelial cells classically have this appearance in spleen to do this function with a gap of 2 to 4 microns. So these little wire-like Fibers are the reticular fibers which make up they hardly any basal lamina kind of thing around those blood vessels. They just keep the endothelial cells close together where, where the red blood cells and other cells can walk in and out of these blood vessels. So that is microcirculation. It's a beautiful image again of the red pulp. I have just described the appearance of them. In the next image, we can actually see the endothelial cell nuclei within So these represent the open and closed circulation arrows that shows how blood flows out into the cords and back into the blood vessels, right? So this is a nice picture that shows you um, the capillaries that are found in the spleen, the red pulp. Can you see these bulges? These are the endothelial cell nuclei. The rest of them are the cytoplasm. So they are elongated in this case. Beautiful appearance. Of splenic capillaries. So these are all cords of build rod. Okay? So, structure and function, if you just look at it, you just imagine how the blood is flowing through these, and old erythrocytes are removed, and antigens are removed in the marginal zone. All right, so that is all about the spleen, and we'll go on to the tonsils. Now, tonsils are a simple definition lymphatic tissue that are lined by epithelium, as simple as that. Okay? So we're going to see that there is collection of lymphoid tissue around the oropharynx, so it protects that passage from a lot of antigens that are entering the respiratory tract or the alimentary tract. So we're going to have collection of lymphocytes in this region. Right? So all these collections are lined by epithelium in this region, and we will look at it in detail so oral cavity and nasal cavity around that region so i have a little diagram that is drawn here you have two palatine tonsils one nasopharyngeal tonsil or pharyngeal tonsil is not actually in front it's behind this uh, uvula okay so it's right behind it's right here towards the back so that will be the nasopharynx and uh, behind in the tongue in the back here are the lingual tonsils so if we just draw a line around them that forms a ring and this ring of lymphatic tissue is referred to as waldeyer's ring waldeyer's ring is nothing but lymphatic tissue that surrounds the oropharynx that prevents the pathogens from getting in most commonly we will be examining these two swellings right the thing is Palatine tonsils and somebody looks for your tonsils. This is what you're looking for. Okay But if you have a little child coming with Open mouth breathing and they are not able to breathe through your nasal passage probably will think of Nasopharyngeal obstruction. So we will see that in a bit So we, were, we are going to study the histology of these tonsils in a little bit how to identify So the first one is the palatine tonsil. So this is um, Head and neck anatomy, so we are looking at uh, sagittal section through the face the So we can understand that this is the tongue, that is the epiglottis, and this is the pharynx So the pharynx is divided as three so The one facing the nasal cavity is called nasopharynx This area is oropharynx, and then it becomes laryngopharynx okay? So we are looking for two things, uh, or three tonsils right here the nasal cavity towards the back, posterior pharyngeal wall, you will have collection of lymphoid tissue. We're going to call it pharyngeal tonsil. And in this region, you have two folds called palatoglossal and palatopharyngeal folds. Collection of lymphoid tissue between these two folds or arches is called palatine tonsil. And towards the posterior one-third of the tongue. Under the mucous membrane right here, you will have collection of lymphoid tissue. We' are going to call them lingual tonsil. okay So these are the three we are going to see. Now, first one is palatine tonsil. See, palatine tonsil is right here. So if I take a section of this and place in a microscope, we are going to look at it like this. So what we see here, what are these rounded things we just learned? Lymphatic nodules, okay? Nodules. Are they primary or secondary? They're all secondary because, how did we know? Germinal centers, okay? Everybody with me? So these are all lymphatic nodules, and this is lined by epithelium because here oral cavity is lined by epithelium. What kind of epithelium line the oral cavity? Non keratinized stratified squamous. Okay, stratified squamous, non keratinized epithelium because it's a moist epithelium prone for abrasions. Okay, so same epithelium. Even in this low magnification, we can see stratification of the epithelium. Now, what was classical here is that the epithelium, you can see it invaginates to form deep crypts. Can we see that? So it's very classical of palatine tonsil. Now, a lot of infection agents can be found in this region, and we do not want the infection to spread to the deeper constrictors of the throat. So we have a thick connective tissue capsule towards the posterior aspect. Can we see that? Dense connective tissue capsule. So the capsule does not run entirely. It's a partial, or we call it incomplete capsule, anteriorly lined by epithelium, and this is all lymphatic tissue. So this is what we're talking about. So this is palatine tonsil, and these little crypts can be seen with naked eye. If anybody has enlarged tonsils, you look in the mirror, you're going to see these little crypts that are visible to the outside. Okay? Higher magnification of palatine tonsil, you can see the epithelium, stratified squamous non-keratinized. These are the deep crypts, and we have lymphatic aggregates or nodules. So this is another place we see aggregates of nodules, right? The other two places we saw was in the appendix and pious patches. So here, too, we have aggregates of nodules, okay? So we have the cap of the corona and secondary nodules. Can we all imagine what is happening inside these nodules when they are exposed to antigens and how the lymphocytes are going to proliferate and produce antibodies and all those things, okay? Right. So whatever I just said is all written up in this slide to just show you, recap, stratified squamous epithelium. You have these deep crypts called the tonsillar crypts that are classical lymphoid nodules as aggregates, and posteriorly you have connective tissue capsules. So that brings everything together for palatine tonsil. So what would you find in these crypts? It depends on the immune status, right? Because if you have a lot of infections, then you will have bacteria and and pus and so on. So you remember this from the clinical lecture that we had on inflammation. We talked about tonsillitis, right, just enlargement. And if if it is with the pyogenic bacteria, then you will have a lot of pus that is um, embedding or lining this enlarged tonsil. okay? Most times patients don't come to you unless this entire tonsil thing fills up this area and they are unable to eat, right? So that is when patients come to you with acute tonsillitis. So when you open and examine the oral cavity, you will see this entire thing will be filled with a lot of pus, right? So this is the normal appearance of palatoglossal and palatopharyngeal fold. In between here is where normally you see the tonsils, palatine tonsils. Now we go on to pharyngeal tonsil. Pharyngeal tonsil is uh, in the nasopharynx right here, at the posterior pharyngeal wall. Now pharyngeal tonsil is just one in number, it's in midline, right? So now we have somebody here with adenoid facies, means what? This child is breathing through the mouth because his nasal passage is blocked because of enlargement and inflammation of this pharyngeal tonsil. So that face is called adenoid facies, right? Adenoids are actually chronically inflamed pharyngeal tonsil. That is what is called adenoid, right? So this is in the midline, and they can cause obstruction to the nasal passage. Now, if you look at its location, this collection of lymphoid tissue has two surfaces, one facing the nasal passage, one facing the oral cavity, right? therefore they can have two types of epithelium lining them so they have patches of respiratory epithelium and they have patches of oral cavity epithelium so that means they have stratified squamous non keratinized and then they have pseudostratified ciliated columnar epithelium with goblet cells so best way to identify on slides is that you have lymphatic tissue and that is lined by respiratory epithelium Uh, That that differentiates pharyngeal tonsil from palatine tonsil. And also you don't see deep crypts like the ones in palatine tonsil. Lingual tonsils are multiple number. So if you look at, um, I'm not sure if you had experience looking at the posterior one-third of your tongue in the mirror. Have you seen it? Because behind the sulcus terminalis, how does it look like? Is it smooth or is it bumpy? Yeah, it's bumpy, right? So at the base of each bump, you will see a little depression. At the base of that depression is where you will have lymphoid collection. So each of those areas will have lymphoid uh, collection here and those are referred to as lingual tonsils. So again, their lining will be stratified squamous, non-keratinized epithelium, because it faces the oral cavity, but you might have some kind of sublingual glands that are close by, right? So that helps us to identify them. So they will have shallow cribs, lymphoid aggregates, and some mucous glands that are present close by, okay? So that is the lingual tonsil. So those are the three tonsils. So to recap everything, we had we studied the structure of lymph node, the spleen, and we had thymus and the three tonsils. Pretty much it's a short chapter, six structures, but we spent a lot of time learning the functions of lymphocytes, which is pretty essential because without knowing that, we may not understand what these cells are doing in this area, okay? Right, These are features of lingual tonsil. Some clinical aspects, we'll see about five of them. We just saw the Dijot syndrome, Catch 22 and these are all based on underdeveloped structures from third and fourth pharyngeal pouch, okay, as they do not develop. So what happens due to thymic aplasia, we will have deficient T lymphocytes. T lymphocytes are responsible for Cell-mediated immunity, so wherever you look at a lymph node, for example, if you take this as a lymph node, right, which area will be rich in T-lymphocytes? Is it the cortex or inner cortex? Outer cortex, inner cortex. Inner cortex, because outer cortex has predominantly B-lymphocytes, okay, forming nodules, whereas inner cortex has T-lymphocytes responsible for cell-mediated immunity. So those cells will be deficient or absent in case of DeGeorge syndrome. So the patient will lack cell-mediated immune responses. So that is the importance of DeGeorge syndrome. Now, splenic injury and enlargement. Now, we don't have a slide to correlate, but we can understand how the spleen can enlarge to a large extent and those anemias, we talked about hemolytic anemias, or anytime you find abnormal erythrocytes, the spleen is going to cause a lot of destruction. Also, for this large organ, you see the capsule is quite flimsy. So therefore, in any kinds of vehicular accidents and so on, immediately you look for splenic tear because they bleed a lot because the red pulp has open blood vessels filled with a lot of erythrocytes. And therefore, it is difficult to suture. It is impossible to suture the capsule of spleen, and you just wait for it to clot. And also, look at the enlargement of spleen. Say, so if it is just a fist size, you can see how huge the spleen is. Patients with malaria, right, endemic areas, you will see patients with splenomegaly. It's like a rock. It is hard and you can actually palpate even these little um, hilum regions of spleen like this. Okay? So normally start palpating from the right iliac fossa, and you can actually feel that enlarged spleen. So let us see how we can detect some enlarged spleen. Okay? Knowing the size of spleen, see this is the normal dimension. So in imaging, definitely we can see this is huge spleen, isn't it? Look at the comparative splenomegaly Okay, splenomegaly. One side is liver, then you have spleen, and you can see the enlarged spleen, right? So let us think of some causes that can cause splenomegaly. We went through a few, yeah? You can see the size of this huge spleen. Now one other thing is portal hypertension. Have you learned about portal hypertension? Where there is venous backflow from the portal vein back into the spleen, you will study about that, and that can cause enlarged spleen as well, right? So splenectomy has been done in this patient. Lymphadenopathy. What does adenopathy means? Increase in size. So we are just looking at this bean-shaped structure, which is the lymph node. We can see the cortex filled with B lymphocytes, right? Nodules and the medulla, right here. So if we correlate the function, B lymphocytes. T lymphocytes and then sinuses that is filled with lymphatic fluid. So let us see if we can correlate this, right? Now we have a pathological specimen of somebody, right? Lymph node that's enlarged. And if you look under the microscope, you can see enlarged large amount of follicles. So looking at this image, what can you come what kind of diagnosis can you come to? There is some kind of a bacterial infection, isn't it? So antibodies are produced in large numbers by these B cells. So this is called follicular hyperplasia. But look at this lymph node. Do you see a lot of nodules? No, but the paracortex is enlarged. So there is probably some viral infection. So this is what we call paracortical hyperplasia. And in this case, you can see sinuses are all filled with necrotic debris, and that is more in necrotic tumors or any other necrotic areas. So these are just three examples of you know how a lymph node uh, biopsy can help you identify the cause. And the last one is uh, importance of um, cancer metastasis. So we know that um, cancer cells can spread from one area to the other by means of lymphatic fluid. So they are drained by lymph nodes. And I said that subcapsular sinus is the area that commonly drains those tumor cells. They will trap them there, and they can undergo enlargement. So if you suspect cancer of breast with somebody, what do you do first thing? You're going to palpate. Axillary lymph nodes, isn't it? So they will cause, what are you looking for? Are we looking for normal nodes or enlarged nodes? Enlarged nodes, okay? So we are looking for any cancer cells that are spread to the axillary nodes. And then they can go to the parasternal nodes on the other side as well, as the stages advance, all right? So in this case, the person had radical mastectomy. That means what? The cancer of the breast as well as the regional lymph nodes have been removed in this patient. And over a period of time, the tissue fluid is unable to drain out, and you can see it causes lymphedema, lymphedema right? enlargement due to tissue fluid. So here we have um, a lymph node. Definitely doesn't look normal, isn't it? These are all tumor cells. From the subcapsular sinus, the tumor cells have invaded the deeper part of the parenchyma, and they have grown to a large extent. So from here, they can go on to another node and another node, and that is called what? Metastasis of cancer. Okay. So that is all we have for today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Finish on time. Yeah. Thanks.